0: From downtown Milwaukee, welcome to Money Talk with Bob Landis. Each week, professional advisors from Landis and Company Investments discuss the latest financial developments, offering timely insight and long-term perspective. Broadcasting live from inside a snow globe, this is Money Talk for January 12th, 2024. The Pack is back in the playoffs, and they're visiting the Dallas Cowboys and all the drama that comes with that team. Your Milwaukee Bucks are home this weekend, Saturday with Steph Curry and the Warriors, and Sunday it's the Sacramento Kings. From the Canadian Parks Agency, we get this warning. Don't let a moose lick your car. No, it's not a romantic thing. They just love the road salt that winds up on your car. It's not good for the moose, and it's not good for your car. Now I just can't get that picture out of my head. (laughs) A Philadelphia NPR reporter was fired because his stand-up comedy wasn't funny. An arbitrator gave him his job back because it was determined that, in some small way, he was funny. (laughs) A lot like this weekly monologue. (laughs) What's up with Bass Pro Shops? Last week we did a story about a Florida guy who stole fish from their in-store pond. Well, this week an Alabama man ran into the Bass Pro Shop, stripped off all his clothes, and jumped into the pond. (laughs) I think the Bass Bay is going to have to hire more security. (laughs) Uh, Or at least a lifeguard. (laughs) Finally, Crocs. You know, the shoes that look like the french fry baskets. Well, (laughs) their CEO says business is booming. Why? Because people just don't want to dress smartly anymore. So (laughs) what is the opposite of smartly anyway? That reminds me. Two U.S. Senators have worn Crocs on the Senate floor. Mm-hmm. On the podcast today, we have Art <laughs> Rothschild, Joel Dresing and fresh in from shoveling a path to the studio, here's Kyle Tedding.
1: <laughs> and of course, on the investment front for Crocs, uh, they, they seem to be coming out with every kind of potential attachment you could think of. Uh, relevant for today, uh, you can buy snowplow attachments for the front of your cro- uh, Crocs yeah, yeah, yeah. so that as you walk, you move the snow off your driveway. Um, so, if our listeners are looking for a way to get that snow cleared, uh, that that may be a way. Uh, overall, uh, an okay week for the markets. The Nasdaq up three point one percent, closing at fourteen nine seventy three at the bell. The S and P five hundred up eighty seven points. That's one point eight percent this week, closing at forty seven eighty four. And the Dow Jones Industrial Average up three tenths of a percent on the week, one hundred twenty seven points to close at 37.593 for the year. The NASDAQ down three-tenths, the Dow Jones down three-tenths, and the S&P able to scratch out now a positive year so far, up three-tenths of a percent, maybe a pretty good place to start. Um, It felt like at least to start the year, maybe the last couple of days of last year, there was some selling going on just to kind of position some of the profits back towards other areas of the market. And all of a sudden, you know, really the last five or six trading days now, we've seen some stability Um, You know, I think reminding investors that, um, yeah, day-to-day, anything can happen, but there really is a lot of positive out there uh, that's kind of creating some support for stocks.
2: Yeah, we get together every week and we talk about what just happened, but what's more important is putting it in context. And uh, the last time I was on the show, we were talking about Santa Claus rallies. Well, it didn't happen this time. So the stock market did not go up those last, whatever it is, five trading days of the year and first two trading days of this year. They went up some of the days, down some of the days. And we started the year off poorly, as you indicated, the first week. Didn't feel real good. This week, hey, we got some back. But again, it didn't feel like much happened. But as you suggest, we're back to either break even or just making or losing a little bit, specifically with the S&P up a little bit. So I feel better. And the good news is, is there aren't any major drivers, you know, causing stocks to go up or down. It's very much, hey, we're just getting started. Nobody knows what's going to happen. And we're waiting for earnings season and to hear from these companies as they release their uh, earnings, seeing how close they come to the analyst estimates, which are, you know, very low anyway. Um, but it's more what they're going to say about what's going to happen, which I think is going to influence investor sentiment, you know, going forward in the near future.
1: Yeah, you know, earnings season kicks off in earnest uh, today, Friday, and uh, you know the banks, one of the early reporters, uh, critical to our economy because they have so much insight into consumption, so much insight into what lending is taking place and how their customers feel about the economy more broadly. And so, um, it's a nice place to kind of start earnings season because I I do think it speaks to the bigger picture. What will also be interesting to me this earnings season is what kind of comments we get on inflation, especially from the producers, the consumer goods companies. Uh, you know, if you're Campbell Soup, what you have to say about inflation and your input costs and how you view pricing, I think are pretty important to where we see things going forward. And of course, Joel, we had data this week on both consumer and producer prices, which you know I think point to... More of what we've been talking about, even if the number itself looks a little different month to month.
3: Yeah, Kyle. Month to month, um, it, it didn't look all that great, but the longer picture, um, I saw the the chief economist for uh, J.P. Morgan um, Investments call it remarkable how much uh, inflation has come down uh, from where it peaked recently—a forty-year high back in uh, mid 2022. Um, the the consumer price index came out this week. That's the broadest measure that we have of inflation, and um, the Bureau of Labor Statistics said that uh, compared to a year ago, that it's three point four percent, and that's up a little bit from where it was in November. But compare that three point four percent to a year ago, it was six and a half percent, and back in in mid twenty twenty two, it was. At nine point one percent, so um, it's it's come down to that three point four percent. It was a little higher than um, some people expected. It was up a little from November. Um, the Fed wants it around two percent, so three point four is a greater number than two. Um, also, I looked at the the uh, average since nineteen forty seven, and it's three point three percent. So it's right about the historical average.
1: and I, you know. Joel, there are so many misunderstandings about this information. I think often we hear, well, yeah, the number is 3-4 or 3-9 if you only look at certain pieces of the basket. What I care about is, are we comparing the same thing? Every time we talk about it, let's use the same number. But then more importantly, understanding what inflation actually is. We're talking about a rate of change, right? And the rate of change of prices. And so to say that... Um, well, prices are going up faster and faster. That's not true. In fact, the rate of change has been coming down. And I think as we look ahead, you know, the Fed's 2% target, while it's in view, there's a, a ways to go here. And so I think it's so critical for investors to understand it doesn't just get back to 2% tomorrow. It doesn't just all of a sudden feel good because prices aren't coming back down in most areas. Sure, oil and gas, um, you know, it's quite volatile. You know, a a dozen eggs, a gallon of milk, those things are are pretty volatile when you look every time you go to the store. But that 2% inflation number doesn't mean that suddenly prices go back down. It just means they're not going up as fast as they were. And
3: and Kyle, that whole misunderstanding of inflation, and um, you know, we've talked about this before with some of the consumer sentiment numbers, how um, just popularly, people think that inflation is real high right now and that it's um, that it's sort of a doom scenario and and um, as you know as i said i mean those numbers are showing that the rate of inflation is coming down i'd mentioned to you and art earlier that i got a, an email this week from uh, an insurance agent explaining the higher premiums by saying that they're it's because of the rapidly increasing inflation rate and i actually wrote a nice little respectful note back saying you know, that inflation rate is not actually rapidly <laughs> increasing. It's actually coming down. And inflation is, is up, but it's always up. It, I mean, almost always. It's, we're, you know, right. Prices are higher today yeah. than they were yesterday. So I had a question about what, how, the effect of that, of, of, of especially for investors, of that, that um, sense out there that prices are, go, are rising too fast and that's getting in the way of things.
2: So there are two aspects of this that are important, and you've just hit on both of those. One is, what is the consumer's reaction to the expectation of higher prices? And that's why the Fed has been so intent upon bringing it down. If, if, if consumers expect prices to go up too much, they're either going to buy too much now and, or refrain from buying something later. Um, and, and that can distort, that can reduce spending, and that negatively impacts the economy. And that's why the market reacts r- negatively to it. But the other thing is the market's reaction to these numbers. We're like, every week we're talking about inflation. I'm tired of it. You know, we have to do it. It's important. But the good news is, Kyle, as you just suggested, it's on the right, we're on the right path. It's pretty clear to me. The Fed's not going to, you know, claim victory because they're still in the war on inflation. And they don't want companies to just continue to push prices higher, which will create this expectation among consumers that, oh, things are are bad out there. Maybe we shouldn't spend. Maybe we can't afford to spend. So, the market's reaction is fascinating to me. So here we have an increased amount of inflation versus what was expected. And the direction being higher, if this would have happened six months or a year ago, the market would have been clobbered. Um, or there would have been concerns that the Fed is going to have to raise interest rates. Like, it's a yawn this week, which means, again, suggests to me we're closer to the end of this having to talk about inflation. Um, and, the American consumers spe- specifically spending, they're still spending like drunken sailors, but they're constantly shifting what they're spending money on. And that's why there's a distortion. We're always talking about, oh, the price of this are going up or that's going up. Lately, there's been a lot of talk about rental um, increases being distorted. How many people are renting a new apartment every day or every week? How many people are buying a new home every day or week- every week? Yes, we may be eating eggs for breakfast every day or every other day. So those prices are more apparent to your average consumer but they aren't as significant for the economy overall.
3: So so for, for clients, for investors who are listening to this, are there ways for them to, I mean, should they just not pay attention to these? Uh, distortions or the talk of distortions? I mean, because some of that is, is in the weeds economic stuff.
1: Well, I think investors need to remember that the businesses they're buying are price takers, right? They're looking at the market and saying, what will the market bear? And if there's an expectation, as your insurance agent placed the expectation that, well, inflation is rapidly increasing. No, it's not. Prices are rapidly increasing, but the rate of price increases is coming down, Well, but if the expectation is that those prices are increasing, me as a consumer, whether it's buying insurance or buying a can of soup or the one that came out this week was Pepsi, buying a can of Pepsi, Mm -hmm. yeah, maybe I'm a little more inclined to pay that higher price to a point. And if you're a manufacturer, if you're Pepsi, you're going to take the ability to increase prices – as far as you can take it. And then you had a major grocer, especially in Europe, come out this week and say, hey, we're not stocking your product anymore at those prices. You want to go back to maybe a 5% lower price, and we'll be willing to start buying again and telling our customers they can get your product in our store. But I think in some areas, we've hit that pain point where manufacturers, they can't take anymore. Um, And so you see it in the grocery store with the amount of sales that are out there right now. I was talking to clients earlier this week who clip coupons who were telling me, you know, the deals they're getting right now are better than some of the deals they've seen in a while. Well, the deals you're getting are better because the prices are higher, because the things you're buying were pushed higher over the last year, 18 months. Yeah, they can afford to cut those prices a little bit on sales, on coupons, because what you're paying is a a fraction of what has been a pretty meaningful price increase. And so- I think we are clearly seeing it in some areas where the price taking is now starting to abate. The expectations now need to make their way into consumers that, hey, the rate of inflation really has slowed. Even if prices are still going up, they're not going up as quickly. We shouldn't be as eager to just buy for the sake of buying. We can be a little more price sensitive again. Um, And I think having that knowledge, right, not just from a consumption perspective, but also an investment perspective, what are the businesses that can still pass along those costs? Well, if you're Microsoft and you're going to give everybody massive productivity gains, maybe I'm a little more willing to pay for your product, pay more for your product than I am those other products I was buying that don't have those same opportunities for my workforce. And so... I think that's really kind of this differentiator between the consumption side and the investing side is, from a consumption side, there's a lot of businesses that maybe can't take anymore. From an investing side, I think there's still plenty that can, um, and those are the businesses you want. And I think, Art, as we kind of look into 2024 a little bit and where we want to invest going forward, especially here in the U.S., Um, You know, there's this conversation around the Magnificent Seven, and do we want more of that, or do we want the dogs of the Dow? Um, You know, I think it is such an interesting conversation, um, because perhaps it isn't as simple of an answer anymore of, well, it's just those seven.
2: Yeah, it's uh, last year was a tremendous year, any way you slice it. The S&P dividends included up 26% or whatever it was, the NASDAQ up even more, the Dow a little less. But our clients benefit from our counsel by having balanced portfolios. So if you're up 14, 15, 16, 17, depending upon your mix, you should be feeling pretty good. So then the question arises, as you just suggested, well, what, what should we expect in the coming year? And between buying the dogs of the Dow, for example, the, the 10 highest dividend paying stocks and resetting it you know, every year, um, it, it doesn't even beat the Dow. You know, So I wouldn't buy the dogs of the dog, but that's something that's being talked about this, this time of year is, it is every year. The Magnificent Seven, these are tremendous tech companies. But is every one of them going to be doing well? Uh, Apple already has fallen on some concerns this year. Um, Tesla, I think past few days, up and down a little bit, other concerns. So I will suggest it probably isn't going to be that exact same seven. But American investors are a lot like lemmings. They all want to buy what everybody else is buying. And they'll continue to do so until they have their heads handed to them. So we're not going to play that game. We want our clients exposed to a, a broad variety of, of styles and sizes and jurisdictions of companies. So I'm not really too concerned about what's going to be in play this year because I'm pretty confident that our clients are going to be exposed to those things, whatever they might be you know, going forward, And rather not just focus on those seven or those ten, so to speak.
1: And I think it's why it's so important that we track the earnings progress right now the way we're tracking it, because ultimately this comes down to, can I buy good companies at a fair price? Um, I'm willing to pay up for great companies. I'm willing to pay up for companies with a lot of growth potential. I don't just want to buy cheap companies, because for most of them, there's a reason they're cheap. There's something about them, high debt levels, lack of growth potential, that overall the market just thinks, hey, this isn't a place we want to be. But there is some middle ground out there right now for companies that I think are pretty reasonably priced, at least relative to the broader market and certainly relative to what you can get with safe alternatives like cash and bonds, but that are good enough businesses with strong enough growth potential. And so I think that's the key really for me right now is, you know, to your point, it's not some catch-all phrase that's going to drive our investment decisions. It's not Magnificent 7 or Dogs of the Dow or whatever the, you know, the the headline's going to be over the next few weeks. It really is, all right, we want portfolio managers managing our mutual funds that are looking at why do we own the businesses we own and not just why did we buy them 5 years ago? But why is this still the right business at the right price for us? And so, um, I think more than anything, active management is going to prove to be a big part of the story this year. Um, And yeah, it's partly a return story, but for me, it's actually more about risk and how we manage risk coming through 2024 after a 2023 that was so driven by just risk exposure broadly. If you took risk, you made money last year. I think. This year is going to be a little bit different in that you need to take the right risks now. And so that's, I think, the the majority of our focus. Um, you know, a great example there are to me is that there's a lot of opportunity in cheaper stocks overseas, a lot of places around the world where you go, all right, this has been beat up for a while, and perhaps, you know, now is the time to dive in. And we're seeing some signs, you know, out of Germany, Europe more broadly, that maybe there's a slowing there um, and I, I guess you know, the question for investors is how does that impact you know, what we look at in terms of the global piece of our portfolio?
2: Yeah, I think most investors are underweight overseas at the present time. And you can see it in the numbers. I mean, you've made more money by being more domestic. That may continue to be the case for a while. There's some significant problems globally. Um, you look at, as we mentioned, Germany uh, is reporting uh, lower uh, manufacturing uh, gains than were anticipated. Um, I think they're in a recession over there still, Um, Europe overall, and that's the driver of growth in Europe, and that's a problem. And I think one of the reasons for that, of course, is China. So we've been having kind of an off-again relationship these days with China. We're trying to have more production in other places. It was those rich Chinese people who were buying a lot of these luxury goods like BMWs or Mercedes you know, from Germany. And if they're not producing, if they're not buying as many, there's not going to be so much production. So generally speaking, we believe in diversifying overseas. I think if those profits come in better, grow quicker, and as the dollar uh, weakens vis-a-vis these overseas currencies, we could see some gains in those foreign positions that we've been very patient with. But it is frustrating, you know, for investors sometimes to hold those things. But I think you're right. I think over time, We're going to benefit from global diversification over long periods of time, especially when you look at how well the U.S. has done uh, relative to these, you know, overseas companies and countries. But we all have to, we're all going to rise or fall together, and there are a lot of problems we have to overcome, you know, before we see an interest, you know, I think, in, in those
1: and the, overseas the, companies. The, the right companies at the right price, right? right. I mean, that's right. still the key is that um, I care that Germany is slowing. I care that Europe more broadly has issues. I care that China's probably in the midst of um, a pretty meaningful economic collapse. Um, and yet, there are some great businesses out there that you want to hold through that. Um, because they are long-term drivers of what the future economy looks like. And that's going to be profitable for them and profitable for their investors. Of course, I think the other conversation that kind of uh, bubbled up to the surface again this week about where we head is this conversation on Bitcoin. Uh, We had an early uh, kind of leak from the SEC that perhaps they were going to approve uh, an exchange-traded fund based on Bitcoin. And then, as it turns out, they did. Um, and so I think art. there's a lot of investors looking at that and going, all right, is this a new asset class? Is this an expansion of an existing asset class that we need in our portfolio? And now you've got some of the big players coming out and saying, Meh, maybe we want to hold on or hold, hold off a bit, perhaps.
2: Yeah, whether or not it's something that's appropriate, the SEC pretty much caved in. People are buying it. It's sort of like cigarettes. You know, you know, if they're going to kill you, they're still letting you sell them. They may cut back on menthol, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Bitcoin to me is something that's just a a tool for people to speculate with. Um, And reinforcing that, since the SEC has now approved it and these are now going to be sold, uh, Vanguard, which is a great marketing company and, and who really pioneered the concept of indexed investing. just cheaply buying everything. And it, it kind of works for part of portfolios. That's not what we embrace. We prefer managed investing. But the indexes have done well. And you be able to get them cheaply credit to Vanguard. But but they're shying away from the Bitcoin thing. They're saying not on our platforms, because we want our customers, we want um, our consumers, those people who trust us with their money, to build you know, balanced portfolios, pretty much the way we talk about it. And so to see Vanguard come out, just like Warren Buffett is kind of Come out on numerous occasions, suggesting it's nothing that you should be buying, um, regardless of the fact that Americans are going to keep buying these things. So, kind of a mixed week for and, Bitcoin, even though it went up. I believe this.
3: And week. At, while the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, approved that fund, it um, took pains in its announcement to say that it was not endorsing Bitcoin. Um, right. and, and if you go, I mean, if you go to the SEC.gov site, the statement from uh, Chair Gary Gensler. Says in part, Bitcoin is primarily a speculative, volatile asset that's also used for illicit activity, including ransomware, money laundering, (laughs) sanction evasion, and terrorist financing. So, well, if um, that's not a ringing endorsement, (laughs) I don't know what is.
1: I think just a good reminder that um, just because something is available doesn't mean we need to own it. Just because something is new doesn't mean that it's a good idea. And there's all kinds of track record of investment companies, investment products chasing uh, the next great idea, uh, bubbling for a little while, and then either boiling over or just blowing up entirely. And so not to say that that's where Bitcoin is headed, not to say that's where a Bitcoin ETF is headed, but just that... I think we need to be pretty careful about how quickly we run down that path to go by. With that, we enjoy doing the program for you. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for listening to Money Talk
0: with Bob Landis. If you have a financial question you want answered on next week's show, email it to moneytalk@landis.com To keep informed throughout the week, visit our Money Talk page
2: at landis.com.